You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We're in a series of messages here in the middle part of Romans called the Assurance of the, the Gospel. And uh, that's the theme, I think, of chapters 5 through 8. And it's an important theme. Uh, being assured of our our salvation. Uh, Also, um, that uh, we would be distinguished from the world because after all, as believers in Christ, we should look differently than uh, those who don't know him. Amen? And uh, so Paul is laying out here what it means to be uh, a a Christian, what evidences there are, and and, uh, if there's not evidences in our lives, uh, then uh, we don't have the assurance of, of that. And so Paul is, is speaking to this topic here in chapters 5 through 8. And uh, so let's look at uh, the text again. Chapter 5, verse 5 is our focus, but we'll read verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Lord, as we humble ourselves before your word now, we invite you to speak your truth into our lives. And we know that your purpose is to make us more like Christ. And so we humble ourselves and we accept that today. And so, Lord, do your work in us. And I pray that you would use me as your servant. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease. And your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. R.C. Sproul, in his commentary on Romans, likens this passage and the salvation, the justification that Paul is speaking of here to receiving gifts at Christmas time. Salvation, he writes, is not like receiving just one gift under the Christmas tree, but rather gift after gift, all wrapped up together. And so you think about it, the first package that we've opened some weeks ago there in verse 1 is we have this gift of justification from God. Uh, when, when, and yet when we open it, we, we are surprised and thrilled to find that there's another gift uh, in that gift of justification, and it's peace with God. And uh, if that wasn't exciting enough, we open it up and we find yet another gift, and it is access into the grace of God, uh, verse 2, in which we, we, which we now stand. And then uh, just when we're excited about that, we realize there's another gift, and it's the gift of the hope of the glory of God. And uh, when we're filled with gratitude and settling all that, all that settling in, Paul says, not only that, it's like there's more. We've been, he says, given the ability to rejoice in the midst of our sufferings. 
verses three and four. Those, that suffering, that pressure that produces endurance and character and hope. And then after we've peeled back the ribbon uh, just a little further, we discover in verse five that he's not done yet. God pours out his love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's no wonder that Paul often, in, in his writings, he's kind of overtaken with these ideas. And at times he just stops and he just, he just praises God for all that God has, has given, all that God has blessed, just with gratitude and all, he just worships him. There's a, such, such a place in chapter 11, verse 33, toward the end of this whole section, when, when Paul says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. He does this in other places too, like in Ephesians 1.3, he he, he's just filled with, with praise and worship for what God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now there's not a doxology per se here in our text in Romans 5, but the, Paul, but the fact that Paul continues to rejoice in these things, and he says it over and over again, he says, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and that's not enough, rejoice in our sufferings, verse 3, and he gets all the way down to verse 11, and he's rejoicing in God himself. And, and all of this, it reminds us of how we should be viewing this passage, how we should be viewing these incredible gifts. We're to rejoice in them, to, uh, remember, boast in them, to glory in them, to glory in God and all that he has done for us, church. And we come to verse 5, and uh, again, it's a continuation of this idea of hope that is mentioned in verse two, the hope of the glory of God. And then verses three and four, how character produces this hope. And then notice verse five, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I want us to think of this morning about what does this mean, hope does not put us to shame? What does uh, Paul mean by that? Uh, what is he reminding us of here? Well, to answer that, I want us to look at this verse, but I want to begin with the end of it and work our way backward uh, to help to understand how they're all connected together. So we begin with, I think, is a fifth assurance, a fifth assurance uh, that Paul speaks of, and that is that the Holy Spirit has been given to us. Uh, you know, it, you might say, verse 1, since we have been justified by faith, remember we've got peace, we've got grace, we've got hope, we've got uh, joy and sufferings, and now he says, verse 5, we have the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit. And, and notice, just in these short phrases, what he's reminding us of uh, about the Spirit. First, notice that the Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit who? Who has been given to us? The Holy Spirit is not a what. The Holy Spirit is not an it. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not a force. Uh, like in Star Wars, it's not, a, it's, it's not any of those things. The Holy Spirit is a who. A person of the, the Godhead. Lawson notes here, he is as much a person as Jesus Christ is a person. He has all of the attributes of personhood 
He has a mind. He has emotion. He has a will. These attributes that belong to a person that do not belong to a rock or a tree or some object or some force. He's a person. And yet he's not just any person. Notice how Paul describes him. He is the Holy Spirit. This whole, the Holy Spirit is God. The person of God, the very fact that he carries the word holy is enough to prove this fact that because only God is holy and the Spirit is holy. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the Lord. He is God. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, we think about these verses often. We're called to make disciples, we are told, in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is uh, not a lesser or a different kind of being than God the Father or the Son. He is God the Spirit. The Bible teaches that we have only one God, but this God is in three persons. You cannot wrap your head around this kind of God because if we could wrap our heads around this kind of a God, he wouldn't be much of a God. But he is in three persons, it says. Not three forms. Not three parts. Not three modes. But three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. Now, Paul's emphasis here is on the fact, he says, that the Holy Spirit has been given to us. That's what he says. He's been given to us. That is, upon our justification, our salvation by faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit was given to us. And it is, again, important because it's in past tense. If you're in Christ, this is something that has happened to you. Something that has already begin, been given to you. You do not need to pray to get the Spirit. You cannot earn the Spirit. It's not a separate kind of, of a deal. He is given to a person upon their faith in Jesus Christ. Please hear this. Every true believer has the Holy Spirit of God living in them. It's not possible to be justified verse 1, by faith, without at the same time having been regenerated, born again, indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And so if you're a believer in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Paul will have much more to say about this in chapter 8, but I would just give a quick peek over there just for a moment in chapter 8, verse 9. He says there, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And then notice what he says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. He's very plain, you cannot be a Christian without having received the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit indwells every true Christian. So think about, again, step back for a moment and think about the whole of these five verses here in Romans 5, and it's a wonderful thing to think about, that all three persons of the Godhead, the Trinity, are involved in our salvation. Verse 1, it, we're reminded, we have peace with God, the Father. Through who? Through Jesus Christ, His Son. And now, verse 5, we have been given the Holy Spirit, 
All three persons of the Godhead are interested in our salvation, and they've all done amazing things to save us. God the Father, having planned this all from the very beginning. God the Son, Jesus Christ, came on the first Christmas day. I guess I brought up Christmas again. He came. He lived... He lived a a perfect life. He died on the cross. He was buried. Three days later, rose again so that we could be forgiven and saved. And then after he ascended back to the Father, he sent God the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to indwell us, to prepare us for the hope of glory that is to come. All of that is quite astounding, isn't it? And again, like Paul, we should should pause. We should fall on our faces before this great God who has done all of this for us. Why? Why are we ever lacking in joy in light of these truths? Why would our worship of God ever grow cold? Why would our love for Him ever wane? What a magnificent salvation that has been provided for us. What a God, what a Savior, and what a Spirit we have. Now, Paul highlights in verse 5 something specific the Spirit has done. We're working backward, remember. The Holy Spirit has been given to us. But secondly, the Holy Spirit, he says, has poured God's love into our hearts. Notice it, verse 5. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Again, the, the, the verb tense is important. It's something that has been done, uh, and, and yet the effects are continuing of it. The word poured out is the same word that's used in Acts 2 at Pentecost, talking about the Spirit being poured out. But, but notice here, to be clear, it's not the Spirit that's being poured out here, but it's the love of God that's being poured out. God's love, he says, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. John Stott writes this, what the Spirit does is to make us deeply and refreshingly aware that God loves us. Talk about a sweet assurance of salvation. How wonderful is this? Now, now Paul and, and we have been hammering home justification by faith. And remember, justified, that, that part of our salvation is, is a legal declaration by God, by the God of the universe, that we have been declared right, righteous. But, but here, there's a different aspect. Salvation is more than just some kind of a, a legal transaction in heaven. It's not just paperwork uh, up, up there. It, no, no, he says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Spirit. And the, and the sense here is he's not just, this doesn't just mean that he's like giving you a teaspoonful of it, but the idea is more like a flood. It's like a Niagara Falls, a never-ending, never-drying-up kind of love that is filling, being poured into our hearts and lives. What a wonderful truth. 
Now, again, much of this is a prelude for what's coming in chapter 8, but, and we already know the conclusion of this, chapter 8. You remember, and we quote it many times because it's so beloved, essentially, that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Listen to Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified. And it's the same kind of thing. God's love being poured out in our hearts, kind of the same thing with, with thinking about that the fact that the God of the universe has become our Father. And we have become his children in salvation. And yes, he says, we will suffer, but we rejoice knowing this, knowing that we suffer as God's children forever in his love. Don't, don't lose sight of the context here. Don't forget about where we're at in, in these verses. Paul has been talking about, verse 3, rejoicing in our sufferings. And he's reminding us here subtly that, that suffering is one of the best contexts in which to become assured of God's love. Think of that. God is using pressure to produce uh, uh, in us and, and character, endurance, character, hope in us. And then through all of that suffering and pressure, here's something else that we know. Here's another reason why can we rejoice in all of these things. It is the fact that God loves us. This comes in the context of suffering. Circumstances change, trials may come, storms may come into your life, but one thing remains, his love never fails. It does not cease, the pouring does not stop, and we continue to experience it today. One of my favorite stories about C.H. Spurgeon, one time he was walking through the countryside with a friend and they were strolling along and uh, the friend, uh, or Spurgeon, noticed this barn with this weather vane on top of it and, and on the top of the weather, weather vane was inscribed these words, God is love. And Spurgeon remarked to his companion, he says, now this is, this is a, an inappropriate message for a weather vane. Why would you put that on, on a weather vane? Weather vanes are constantly changing, you know, but he says God's love is constant. Well, the friend said, no, you misunderstood the meaning of that. The sign is indicating a truth that regardless of which ways the wind blows, God loves you. For many, suffering brings about doubt of God's love, but if the Spirit is in you, His love has already been poured into you and continues to pour into you. We can't fully explain it all the time. We don't really know exactly how to put this in words. Um, we just say with the psalmist, my cup overflows. Right? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. What a game changer this is to know this. Uh, here's how Lawson describes it again, another paragraph. He says, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to channel this love into us. What a great picture. 
The way he channels it, he says, into us is not by airdropping it like on your iPhone. That's not how this works. Rather, the spirit, he writes, moves in and sets up home within us. And he distributes everything that we need from the inside of us. How was Paul sustained through all of the suffering in his life? He tells us it was the love of God for him. How will you and I be sustained? The love of God poured out into our hearts. This is why the Christian is able to rejoice in suffering because he or she knows that the heavenly, the loving (laughs) heavenly father is doing us good through all of this. He is shaping us. He is molding us. And he has this great end in view for our lives to transform us into the likeness of Christ. He loves us way too much to leave us like we are. And so we know that this hope will never disappoint us because the love of God sustains us through it. Now at this point, we're ready to start answering the question, What does Paul mean in this first part? Hope does not put us to shame because of God's love. Let's think about that phrasing just for a moment. Hope does not put us to shame. I think think there's a good case to be made that it's a figure of speech um, where Paul is uh, asserting something very positive by saying it in, in kind of a negative type of way. It doesn't put us to shame. I remind you about chapter 1, verse 16, when Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the the gospel, right? And it's kind of the same phraseology. What he means there is that he's proud of the gospel, right? He's boasting in the gospel. He's confident in the gospel. And so when he says here, hope does not put us to shame, I think Paul is saying something like, far from making us ashamed, hope does the very opposite. It leads to glorying in. It leads to confidence in. We rejoice, in other words. We boast. We glory in the sufferings because of this hope. The Holy Spirit, the person who has the Holy Spirit, God's love has been poured out to him. To them, and, and because of this, he or she uh, of the believer is not going just to overcome these trials. They are going to boast in them and glory in them because of this love, knowing that this hope will never let us down. It will never disappoint. It will never bring shame. Instead, it puts us on our feet. It gives us hope and confidence in the midst of of trials. Paul will say something very similar, Romans chapter 8, verse 37, again, when he says this, you know this verse, no, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I think it's the same idea, the thing that he's saying here. Hope does not put us to shame. Not only do we endure the trial and get through the trial, but rather we are enabled to rejoice in it. We are enabled to glory in it because of the assurance of God's love being poured out into our hearts through the Spirit. What a blessed assurance this is. I think it's also, though, something more. I don't think it's just a present experience of God's love, but there's also a future glory in it. So notice the last point there. The Holy Spirit guarantees the finality of salvation. 
In other words, the hope that doesn't put us to shame, not just for the present, but it's also the hope of our glorification, isn't it? What he talked about in verse uh, 2. When we see God, then God will glorify us and make us perfect, free from sin. I want to close with three implications of that. I want you to think a little about your trials and maybe the sufferings that you're going through right now. And uh, to be assured here with what Paul is saying, that hope does not put us to shame because of God's love being poured down into our hearts through the Spirit. I want you to think about some implications here. I think uh, at least three of them. The Holy Spirit, first of all, guarantees our perseverance through trials. It guarantees our perseverance. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of, of Christ Jesus. That, that's why no matter what you're going through in this moment, no matter how challenging or difficult, even if it's making you doubt that you can get through it, um, you can have confidence. If you keep looking to Christ and faith and His Word, um, you can know this, that God will never begin a work and then stop from doing that work. He's going to see you, or to put it differently, you will not fall away. Uh, The presence of the Holy Spirit in you is a guarantee that you'll continue in the faith. Here's the the truth, that we're all weak, amen? All of us, we're all complacent. We're all prone to wonder. We all battle these things all of the time. We're influenced by the world. We're forgetful of the things of God. We're frail in our faith. And and at times, I'm sure you're like me, you wonder, how will I ever stand before this God of glory? Friend, beloved, it will not be because of your own strength, but it will be because of the Spirit in you. This is why hope will never leave us ashamed, because we have the Spirit of God in us. There's also encouragement in this in terms of our growth, that the Holy Spirit guarantees our growth. And and by that, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we have no part to play in our growth. That's far from the truth. The Scripture is clear. Paul says we should work out our own salvation, our sanctification with fear and trembling. But but what I what's emphasized here is because we have the Spirit, we can be comforted knowing that we will grow. Be encouraged by this. 1 Corinthians 2.12 says it like this. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. What are the things freely given? Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for their folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. There's a great promise here that that God is promising to enlighten our minds to the truth, the truth that sanctifies us, that makes us holy. The Spirit is revealing the truth of God from God's Word. He's sanctifying, purifying us, cleansing us from sin. If you are are seeking after Christ and His Word and, and through prayer, then these things will be happening in you. It's the Spirit that also produces fruits in our lives, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. And those who belong to Christ 
Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You remember Paul wrote Romans 5, 4 that, that endurance produces character. This is a part of that character. The fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit of God producing these things in and through our lives. So it should be of great comfort and encouragement to you in this, that God is much more committed to producing these things in you than you are, and that I am. And it's why He allows pressure and trials and sufferings to expose our weakness, that we need the Spirit to work in us, and God does not disappoint us in these things. A third, the Holy Spirit guarantees our glorification. It is, again, the Holy Spirit of God in us who guarantees that we'll be able to stand faultless, blameless, without spot or wrinkle before our Heavenly Father one day. I'm not sure enough as thought is given to this, and, and I'm thankful that Paul continues to bring it up because of all the verses in the Bible uh, such as chapter 5, verse 2, the hope of the glory of God. Or 1 John 3, 2, we shall see Christ as he is. Or Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Or the one that you, uh, Ben read earlier from Hebrews. Again, think of, think of all of this in the midst of your sufferings, of the ups and downs of the Christian life, and the frustrations, and the failures, and the fears. How will we ever stand before a God who is a consuming fire, Hebrews tells us? How will we ever ascend the hill? of the Lord, the psalmist asked, Psalm 24, 3, what hope do any of us have in seeing God and entering His glory and living in a place where there is no sin, when nothing impure is allowed or unclean shall ever enter in? How can we boast ever in the hope of the glory of God? There's one answer here. Hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. He is our assurance. We sang blessed assurance earlier, 1 John 3, 24. By this we know that He abides in us. How do we know? By the Spirit whom He has given us. One last thought. How do you know if you've received His Spirit into you? That's a pretty important question, isn't it? Much of what we've just said here is, I think, a helpful template to ask ourselves, are we uh, persevering in the faith through suffering? Uh, are we growing spiritually? That's sub-point two. Are we growing spiritually? Are we growing in holiness? Are we bearing fruit? Is there the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? Are you rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God? Is this part of your joy, seeing Him and being glorified? Are, and, and are there evidences of these Spirit-produced things in your life? I think there's another one that's important. 1 Corinthians 12.3 says that no one can say, Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So one of the tests, if you've received the Spirit, is, is He your Lord? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, His righteousness, His death in your place, His resurrection to save you? Are you following Him? Surrendering your life to Him right now? 
Only by the Spirit living in us can we confess and follow him as Lord. It really goes back to verse one, being justified by faith in Jesus is the starting point for all of this. Faith produces hope and love being poured out in us. And so are you trusting in Jesus as your Lord? Let's give thought to these things. Father, thank you for your word again, and I pray that as we have shared it here and proclaimed it here, and as we search our own hearts and minds, that you would give assurance uh, to those who have your spirit. May they experience even today a ref- uh, the, the pouring out of your love on them and know this, that hope will not lead us to shame. I pray today for those who are here who may be not thinking about these things. They don't seem all that important right now, perhaps. But Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes to see that this is most important of all because it's a matter of eternity. What will we say when we stand before you? What will be our hope, our assurance? I pray that with Paul today, all of us, all of us who are listening to this, that it would be because of the Spirit that you've placed in us, your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.